Psalm chapter 50, verses 14 and 15. Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. This being the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I have it in my heart to give just an admonition to us about giving thanks to the Lord. The book of Psalms is a book that magnifies the majesty of God, the kingship of God. I think the general emphasis is worship. You may worship through prayer, by faith, through repentance, as in some of the Psalms, by thanksgiving and praise, but it's all worship. And so for a few minutes this morning, I want to preach on the subject, worshiping the King with offerings of thanksgiving. Notice again verse 14, this is not the psalmist here, this is God commanding this. Offer unto God thanksgiving. Offer unto God thanksgiving. John Erskine said about kings in his day and those who needed the help of the king, he said, the poor, the poor beggar that needed an alms from the king would go to the king's highway where he would pass, that is where the king would pass. And he was more likely to receive what he needed by going to where the king passed than to the top of the mountain where the king never came. I, I, have, I want to play on that and say thanksgiving brings us to where the king is. And in the end, as taught in this psalm, brings us to the bountiful supplies of the king. Worshiping the king with offerings of thanksgiving. Now you'll notice some of you have this at the top of the psalm. This is not a psalm of David. This is a psalm of Asaph. We believe that there are 12 psalms written by or written for Asaph. There's a little argument about the authorship. Uh, sometimes questioned. I personally accept the authorship by Asaph. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said it matters little to us who wrote the song. For poet and musician are near akin, and if one composes words and another sets them to music, they rejoice together before God. At any rate, the authorship is sometimes questioned by people. Uh, Asaph is called the St. Thomas of the Old Testament. The reason for that is he had so many doubts. He was always doubtful and uncertain. Uh, I, I like Asaph because if he's the Thomas of the Old Testament, then I'm the Thomas of the Now Testament. <laughs> The songwriter said, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. 
prone to leave the God I love. I think there's an element of that in all of us. So the authorship is questioned, even though, or sometimes questioned, even though I believe it was written by Asaph. But may I say the inspiration of this psalm is not questioned. Because when we get to verse 7, Asaph is no longer speaking. God is talking. Hear, O people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. God is giving this. And so its inspiration is not questioned. May I say the subject matter of this psalm is not questioned. We'll all agree that this matter of thanksgiving is a needed involvement in our lives. I know I'm behind on a lot of things. My sister retired this year, and we have not replaced her in my office. And I am behind on letters. I'm behind on mail outs. But I know for sure I'm way behind on giving God thanks. I think all of us will agree with that. But there are three lessons set forth in this psalm, and I'd like to share them with you briefly. I'm going to divide the psalm as follows. We'll look at verses 1 through 6, where Asaph speaks, and then we'll look at verses 7 through 15, where God speaks to Israel, and then the last verses, where verses 16 through 23, where he addresses the hypocrite or those who live in pretense. I want to begin with verses 1 through 6 and say the lesson that is set forth here is that we should offer thanks in reverence of divine revelation. God reveals himself in these verses and then says, I want you to offer unto me thanksgiving. Really, thanksgiving should not just be for our blessings, should it? It should not just be for our gifts, but it should be for the giver from whom all good things come down. And that's what happens here in these early verses. We have a revelation of God. Verse number 2 says, God hath shined. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. That's where I base this idea of revelation on. God is going to scatter out some rays like the sunlight about himself here. That's the idea. God hath shined. Well, how does he reveal himself, Tom? Well, in verses 1 and 2, we're made aware of the king's Mighty voice, the mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken. And call the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty. God hath shined. He is revealed, first of all, in his mighty voice preaching almost every night of my life as I do and teaching 
On top of that, now several hours a week, I, I confess to you that I have come to grips with this fact. My voice, though loud it may be, is not enough to touch the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. They must hear the voice of God. They must hear the, the, the voice that breaks through the darkness and shines forth in God's glory. Uh, that's why when I come to a church or go to a revival meeting or conference throughout the country, my prayer is not just that I might effectively preach. I want to. I want to do my best. But my prayer is, oh God, speak to us. Talk to us, Lord. Deal with us. We need more than my thoughts, Lord. We need your voice. And here we're reminded that the mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken. Now someone say, you mean to tell me you're one of those mystics that believe God actually talks to people? No, I don't think I would identify with some of the so-called mystics. But I do believe on the basis of the Bible that God speaks to the inner chambers of our heart. And he calls us unto himself. He deals with us in mercy and in grace. You might notice in verse 1, this has intrigued me, I don't want to get bogged down here, but there are three names for God right in the first line. The mighty God, the word God is the Hebrew word El, E-L, or excuse me, the word mighty is E-L-L, -L, and the name God is Elohim, the creator name for God. And then he says, even the Lord. That's the name for Jehovah. And so he says, the mighty, mighty God, even Jehovah, hath spoken. Oh, how blessed it is when God speaks. Has he spoken to you? Has he called your name? He's the king with the mighty voice. He can penetrate all barriers. He can go into a jail cell and arrest a heart. He can go into a hospital room and speak to a soul. He can go into a nightclub and deal with a heart. My brother was in... A big party on the dates floor the night God arrested him. I'm talking to you about the voice of God. It's more powerful than the voice of mama. It's more powerful than the voice of daddy. It's more powerful than the voice of the preacher. The mighty God hath spoken. Notice furthermore, he is not only revealed as the king with the mighty voice, but in verses 3 through 6, he is revealed as the king and his special visitation. Our God shall come, he's going to visit here, and shall not keep silence. A fire 
shall devour before him. J.A. Alexander said this sounds like the imagery when God gave the law. The fire comes before him and it shall be very tempestuous round about him like a hurricane blowing. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the people or and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness. He's going to visit, he tells us. Now, thank God for visitations of grace. But often in the Bible, when we read of God visiting, it involves his judgment. God said, I'm going to have to judge because my people have forgotten me. We'll read more about it in a moment. Come to verse number 7. We not only learn about the king's mighty voice and the king's special visitation, but we learn about the king's righteous verdict. Hear, O oh my people, hear, O oh my people, and I will speak, O oh Israel, and I will testify against thee, brother. Verse 6 added, For God is judge himself. We're talking here about the king's verdict. You know, I've reached a point in life, I want to be accepted. I want all y'all to tell me, oh, what a blessing it's been to have you, brother. I, I liked all of that. But I've reached a point in life, if you don't, I won't be losing any sleep over it. I'll be walking on down the highway with God, God helping me. <clears throat> but I tell you, I don't want God against me. I don't mind maybe some people being against me. But I don't want God against me. The Bible says if God be for us, who can be against, uh, who can be against us? But uh, let's turn it around. If God be against us, who can be for us? Oh, brother. Matthew Henry sees all these verses as a court scene. He says, first of all, we have the court called in the name of the king. Then we have the judge taking his seat. Then the parties are summoned. Then we have the solemn trial set before us. Uh, I say God is revealing himself here in several ways. He, we hear the king's mighty voice. We're made aware of the king's special visitation. Then we come to the king's righteous or solemn verdict. Oh, that we might have God for us. Can I ask you this morning, is God for you or is God against you? It's according to how you have operated in relationship to his holy laws. That's set forth in the next passage of Scripture. If you've run over God's laws, if you've mocked God's principles, if you've overlooked His Son, then may I say God is against you. And we see God saying some things to His people in the next division. But the first idea is we should offer thanks 
in reverence of divine revelation. Who God is should bring out of His people thanksgiving. Lord, I want to thank You for who You are. Lord, I want to thank You that You are the mighty God and that You visit Your people and keep us straight and that You, Lord, are a judge and You know how to deal with what's wrong. I thank You for who You are. That's the first emphasis of the song. Then I want you to come with me to verses 7 through 15 as God begins to speak. We should not only offer thanks in revelation of divine revelation or in reverence of divine revelation, respecting Him, but secondly, we should offer thanks in respect for divine reasonableness. Now, the thing that breaks my heart in this psalm is that the same God who is righteous and holy and judge is also kind and gracious and forbearing, and reasonable. When I was a teenage boy struggling with the will of God and wanting to live my life instead of the way He wanted me to live it, I felt and I said on occasions, well, God is not fair. He calls you to do something and, and everybody then turns against you. That was the idea I had. In fact, my thoughts were, if I really come clean with God, I won't ever have any more friends. Boy, is that a joke. Uh, can I say this here, David? Just I cut up a little, can I? I've got too many friends sometimes. <laughs> Especially around graduation time every year. So we get all kinds of invitations. And we try to respond to them and grateful that they think of us. But I'm saying, uh, God is reasonable. He's not unfair. I had it all wrong. Oh, yeah, a lot of my friends left me like uh, they were leaving a rat, leaving a sinking ship. They thought I'd gone off the deep end. But God has added and added and given and blessed beyond all of those memories. It's like I told my girls recently, our youngest daughter in particular, all these people that in, in high school that you think you can't live without, the day comes when you can't even think of their name. That's not the most important time in life. You, you just sort of passing through that little area. Surrender to God while you're there. And then watch God bring out the important things in life for you. But uh, here God is very reasonable. I'll not deal with these verses in detail. But beginning in verse 8, He first of all is reasonable in His dealings. I'm going to use verse 8 on down through verse 13. Listen to how He says this. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices. He said, I'm not going to fuss at you because of your sacrifices. You have offered sacrifices. And then he said, "In or thy burnt offerings, which were to continually burn before me, I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, 
Here's that little phrase that we often have sung about. And the cattle upon a thousand hills. He owns it all. He said, I'm not worried about one of your little bullocks. I don't have to have your goat. I don't have to have your little offerings. But he said, when you get down to verse 14, what I want is your heart, your thanksgiving. <laughs> Old John Trapp said, he said they were bringing the shell without the kernel. That's right. Boy, it's often easy to go through the form, isn't it? All right, let's turn over to page so-and-so. Let's all sing together now. Let's all fellowship. Let's all... All right, preacher, you come bring us a message and bless us. All right, we're going to have a word of invitation. All right, we're going to be dismissed. We just go through the routine. We've got the shell, but without reality, it's nothing more than Phariseeism. One, two, threeism. Oh, that somehow we might see God is not unreasonable. He puts up with a lot of stuff. He said, I'm not going to be mad at you for the way you've offered your sacrifices, but he said, I want your heart. He's reasonable in his dealings. Then, of course, in verse 14, he indicates he's reasonable in his desires. All he wants is an offering of thanksgiving. <laughs> All God wants, Mama, is you to praise Him. All God wants, Daddy, is you to give Him glory. All God wants, young lady, is for your life to honor Him. Young man, all God wants is appreciation. <laughs> That's not unreasonable. I sort of like that myself. When you've done a good job, when you've accomplished something on your, at the workplace, when, when you have done uh, maybe something above and beyond, do you not expect a little appreciation? you like somebody to say, John, you did a great job on that last project. Judy, you really did some interesting things in that last little uh, involvement we had here on the job. You've we all like that. I want to tell you, there's a God in heaven who gets tired of people using His name in vain. He gets tired of being a spare tire. All He wants is our thanksgiving and our praise. <laughs> From our hearts, from our lives. It amazes me how many Christian people want to call Thanksgiving Day now Turkey Day. Hey, it's Thanksgiving Day. We're giving thanks to the Lord. Turkey or no turkey. Yeah. Sweet potatoes or no sweet potatoes. Deviled eggs or no deviled eggs. To God be the glory, great things He hath done. Then notice in verse 15, we should offer thanks in respect, not only for His reasonable dealings and His reasonable desires, but His reasonable deliverance. He said, if you'll thank me, 
and move in my direction, you'll call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. God's not hard to get along with if you're appreciative for what he's done. Before we go our way, I'd like to take just a moment with those last verses. The first six verses dealt with his revelation and our giving thanks in reverence of his revelation. The next five or six, seven verses had to do with his reasonableness and our giving thanks or offering thanks in respect for his reasonableness. These last verses are verses of reproof. He said, I will not reprove you for your offerings. You've missed it. You've not brought me your heart. You've just brought an offering. But he said, I will reprove those who are hypocritical and they are pretentious. They carry my name and my word and then their life does not back it up. He said, I will deal with that. I will reprove that in verses 16 and 17. He said, I, I must reprove selfishness or I must reprove uh, hypocrisy. But under the wicked God saith, what hast thou to do to declare my statutes? Or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth, seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my words behind thee. <laughs> Why, what's a man doing in the pulpit who's not letting the Bible be his regulating law himself? Huh? Why is somebody teaching a class when they themselves are living in disobedience? Why is someone an active deacon when he is living in rebellion towards God? Why has someone got an office who lives in defiance? I'll do what I want to do. God said, you don't need to have that position. What hast thou to do? He said. Spurgeon put it this way, such men have no right to take the covenant of God into their mouths, seeing that, their spirit, that its spirit does not regulate their lives. One thing to take the Bible. It's another thing for the Bible to take you. You know, I've admonished people all over the country for years. Read the Bible through. Read the Bible through. That's one reason I've enjoyed this little trick. But uh, I want to tell you, it's good to read the Bible through. But let the Bible read through you. <laughs> God grant it to be so. I don't want to just be a hypocrite. I don't want to just come and preach to you and then be a devil in my heart. God forbid. God forbid. I wonder if there's somebody here tonight. Uh, today you've, you've come and you've dressed up and you've sort of, you're here, but you're not here. The Lord would reprove you for your hypocrisy. Then he gets into their sin. Verses 18 through 21. We should offer thanks in response to God reproving our sin. Hey, if God doesn't reprove us, who will? 
I remember when I was a boy, we kept our children in the house and let the dogs run through the neighborhood. Now we tie our dogs up and let the youngins loose on society. We've come a long way, baby. Hey, if God doesn't reprove you, who's going to reprove you? I may smack your wrist a little bit. I'm going to tell you, God reproves our sin. Listen to what God says here in verse 18. When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him. He said, you as an accomplice, you're just as guilty as him if you knew he was doing it. And hast thou been partaker with adulterers? Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou shootest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such and one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. The Lord says what He means, and He means what He says. When I was a boy, my dad was gone all day long, but my mama, she has crippling arthritis. I really just look at her, it hurts me anymore. She can't hardly walk, she can stand for about two or three minutes. Then she has to go down. But uh, Mama wouldn't whip me. And I was glad because that hurt me really more than Daddy to see Mama with her old crippled hands trying to whip me. But uh, she'd tell me, when your daddy gets home, buddy, business is going to pick up. <laughs> I didn't like those transactions. And uh, as soon as Daddy would come in, he and Mama would have a little conference. And he'd come out shaking his head. <laughs> Son, I knew that was bad publicity. <laughs> Here he comes. Do I have to keep telling you this, son? Do I have to? Do you not know who you're talking? Do you not know who I am? Son, I'm your daddy. And I've told you, and I've told you. Well, I didn't have the boldness to speak up, but I did know who he was. <laughs> God says to you and me, do you not recognize who I am? Will you live in pretense? Will you turn your back on my law? Basically, the people forgot it. They forgot God. But I love these last two verses. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoso offereth praise, there we are back to this thanksgiving emphasis. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. And to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. His reproof is not only 
toward our selfishness and it's reproof of our sin, but it is a reproof unto salvation. When we heed God's reproof, He gives us help in that hour. He said, I don't want to tear you in pieces. I, I want to show you my salvation, my deliverance, my help. I read an interesting story how that Queen Elizabeth gave the Earl of Essex a special gift. It was a unique ring. And when she gave him the ring, she bid him, if you're ever in distress, if you're ever in some terrible trouble, send the ring to me. And I will help you. I thought when I heard, read that story, all God wants is our thanksgiving this morning. As we send Him our thanksgiving and our prayers, we call upon Him. He comes to give us help. He comes to deliver us. As I sang as a boy, He is able to deliver thee. He is able to deliver thee. Though by sin oppressed, go to Him for us. Our God is able to deliver Worshiping the King with offerings of thanksgiving. It shows our reverence for who He is. It shows our respect for Him being so reasonable. It shows our response to His reproof. May the Lord revive our gratitude. May the Lord somehow raise up renewed thanksgivings out of our heart. So I said, well, I hadn't missed a Sunday all year. God wants your heart. Well, I tithe every week. God wants your heart. All that's important. But He's looking at our heart. May somehow the Spirit of God help us. You're standing with me. Please, your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed.